that to be faithful in prayer for our leaders, for our governors, and for those um, that are put on the front lines to make the big decisions about our nation. So we ask this morning, um, in these weeks coming up to this big election, that you would help us to be informed, to be thoughtful, and to be prayerful for the leaders that um, are being entrusted um, with the health and welfare and um, it's, it's all been put in their hands to guide this country. So we ask that you um, move in ways that are beyond us, that they would be wise. And we ask that you help us in our own conversations with each other, how we navigate through um, the issues that all the politics of our time brings to the forefront. We are, recognize how passionate we are about some of these things, and we ask that you continue to humble us and guide us in the coming weeks. In all these things, we ask for you to be present, for you to continue to grow us and stretch us, and open our hearts and our minds and our ears as we hear your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So good to be together with y'all. So, so good. Last weekend, well, kind of a weekend, two weekends ago, I had the privilege of going to the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities Diversity Conference. Oh, welcome, front porchers. Well done. And... <laughs> Special seating here in the chapel. I went to this, this diversity conference with a few, a few folks from Whitworth, including Steffi and David Garcia. And one of the things I, I what happened, is, as you would might imagine, we got there. And as soon as we got to the conference, everyone was like, Steffi! Steffi! It was like a, a rock star had walked in the room. And everywhere I walked, I was Steffi's friend. And so David and I were Steffi's friend, following Steffi around. And so Steffi, one day, there was a long lunch break, and Steffi invited David and I, nicely remembering her friends in the midst of her su superstardom, uh, to go visit Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty. So we were out on the boat. I think you got a picture of this one, Steffi and I on the boat. <laughs> we're getting, it's a little rock. It's rocking a little bit. Got to hang on tight. And so we went out to Ellis Island, and... And, um, you know, it was really amazing. Uh, Statue of Liberty is really cool, but Ellis Island was, was very impactful. And impactful because we thought about what actually went on there. I'm sure many of you know Ellis Island was a place where it was kind of the main hub for immigrants, right, for about, especially around the 1900s, about 30 years there. So to get, put it in context, Ellis Island, or so the U.S., for the first maybe 50 years of its existence as a nation, about 5,000 immigrants would come a year, all right? During this time, from about 1892 to 1922, Ellis Island was, was averaging receiving five to 10,000 immigrants a day, pouring through. And you can think of the next picture. Um, you see what these, these immigrants look like. Packing this boat, they, they would take maybe one bag, some if they were lucky, a trunk, and leave everything else behind, leave everything in their country. They would leave their, their, their native land their, where their tongue is spoken, hop in this really crowded boat, Go across a t about two to four weeks across the Atlantic to get across, all with this great hope. Every one of them, regardless of kind of where they're coming from, the different different clothes, different language, different backgrounds, they, they leave everything and come because they have this they have this confidence that America is going to be good. America is going to be a place of goodness, a place of where they can and thrive as a family and have opportunities and do something new, a place where it's going to be good. They are so convinced of the goodness of America and the opportunities there that they just did it, left everything and came. I think there's one more. You see the hall where in, in Ellis Island where they would all, thousands of people every day push through here trying to, trying to get into America because they're so 
clear it was going to be good. Still happening today, right? All over the world, including America, but even more across the Mediterranean right now, and Syrian refugees and others. This, this movement, this attitude these people have, is something we're going to invite us and teach us today as we look at our text. So we're going to look at, um, today we're looking at Luke uh, chapter 18. Luke, we're talking about this journey of the year of the Lord's favor, right? Think about how God and Jesus has come to bring rescue to the oppressed and free the captives. And we saw how Jesus went to the, the sinners, those who couldn't come to him on their own, at Levi. And we talked about last night, or last week, I mean, about being, being still before God as Jesus went to the, goes to the widow and saves that widow and her son from, from really death in both cases. And now we come to Luke 18, and we're going to meet a ruler. Let's go have it up there on the screen. I kind of like it. I think it's fun if we read it together. Is that all right? Let's read it together. Ready? Go. (laughs) (laughs) What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. He replied, I have kept all these since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, there is still one thing lacking, sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Thank you. This is God's word to us today. Let's enter into this story a little bit. Let's think about what is it like, what's happening here. Who is this, this ruler? And Matthew tells us he's a young ruler. What's he like? Well, we know that he's, he's religious, right? He, he wants to follow God. He's trying to follow God. We learn he's kept these commands since his youth. We know he's sincere, He's given his best. He's given his all. We know that he, he's trying hard. He has a good sense of duty and, and, and commitment. We, we know that he wants to learn. He comes to Jesus with a legitimate question. Unlike most of the people in, in the Gospels who are coming to Jesus with, or maybe most, but a lot, who are coming with these questions to kind of trick Jesus, trying to, to test him, he comes with what seems like a legitimate question. We know that he's probably in his life as, as this ruler who's religious and committed, he's probably earned some good acclamation, some pats on the back for his, for his good hard work. And probably, if he really has, which Jesus doesn't contradict him when he says that he's followed the law, he's done these things, these, these, the, the second half of the Ten Commandments, which are the really amazing description of how we live with each other, he's done them. Jesus doesn't say you know. So probably he actually has really lived generously. This rich, young ruler who has, has money and power and privilege, maybe pr- privilege in the, in the way of, of moving about in the religious, uh, religious world, this guy has probably been generous. He probably has given alms as he was supposed to. He's probably cared for the poor. He's probably done things like that. So this sincere, religious, hardworking learner has done a lot of good things in his life. Someone who's got a lot of acclaim, maybe, as he's done those good things. Does that sound like anybody in the room? Maybe describes most of you. Sounds like some words I would describe a lot of the Whitworth community. Sincere, 
hardworking, learners, doing a lot of good things, religious in the best sense of the word. This is what this guy is. This is what this guy's like. He's like a lot of us here. And so he comes to Jesus, this guy who's a lot like us, and he asks Jesus this question, maybe the most important question in the world. What do I do to inherit eternal life? What does it really mean for me to know God, to be with God? How does this work, Jesus? And he thinks he kind of has some bit, but he's not sure about it. But then how he, how he starts it, surprise starts to come right away. Good teacher. Good teacher. That's something that, that we, we wouldn't expect this, but that wouldn't be a normal way to address a teacher at that time. You wouldn't say that usually. So he has two options here. I'm not sure which one it is. Either he was saying, good teacher, like, he was just trying to be really flattering, trying to get Jesus to answer his question, or he really did think that Jesus was something more than most normal rabbis. One of the two, we're not sure which one, but either way, he probably thought it was fairly safe to say it. And the first surprise comes. Jesus jumps on him. Who are you calling good? Why are you using that word? Well, I was, whoa, easy there. He's just, just saying, hey, you know, just trying to be respectful. No one's good but God alone. And so the first, first moment of disorientation happens. Disoriented. Why, why is it bad to use the word good here? I don't understand, Jesus. We'll find out why. Jesus points that in a minute. Well, then he goes on. He got Jesus, you know, lists these commandments, interestingly. And, and, and then he says, one thing you lack, the second disorienting moment. One thing you lack, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. And then you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So second disoriented. Now, this man who has who's had this, this money and, and, the, and with that, what goes along with that, the power, the privilege, the status, all that, all of a sudden he's being asked to let go of that? I didn't ask you that, Jesus. I didn't, we weren't talking about that. We were talking about spiritual things here. We weren't talking about those kind of things. That's, that's different. And again, now even more, his head spinning. Whoa, this, this interaction, this encounter with Jesus is, is calling me in places I wasn't expecting. I wasn't ready for that. Very disoriented. Got a picture here for you. A time we were in, we were in Paris a couple, uh, three summers ago. My family got to spend a month in Paris learning French. And, uh, and I, was, I was the one who was in charge of, the, uh, of, the, of you know, figuring out how to get places because every afternoon we'd go adventure around Paris. And so today, this day, we were going to see the Eiffel Tower. And um, somehow the, the, the captain of the ship got us on, the, on the, the train going the wrong direction one time. And then we got on the train going, a, a different train going the wrong direction another time. And so this is while we're waiting at the station for a long time for the train to hopefully get us going the right direction. To the, to the Eiffel Tower. But at this point, we are very disoriented. And just take a look at the picture. Look at the faces. Bella looks very confident in me, I think, at that point. Just the one sitting in blue. Esther is wondering, Dad, are you going to figure this out or what? And I think my face looks very confident, right? I'm, I think I got that all figured out. I got it. This map is really going to show me. <laughs> it was a moment of disorientation for us. We were disoriented. What is going on? Here we are in this different place, different language, different trains. I'm Totally keep mixing it up. This guy is experiencing disorientation. The rich young ruler is disoriented by Jesus' questions, Jesus' invitations. What is happening right now? What's going on? In the midst of that disorientation, though, in the midst of Jesus, Jesus calling him to, to let go of all his, his wealth 
and what goes with that, there's an invitation. Do you hear it? It's easy to miss, at least for me anyway. I get so focused on the go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Like, whoa, 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 that's pretty intense. Then you will find treasure in heaven and come follow me. Remember, when God, ta- when God invites us to things, when Jesus invites us to things, it's there, there's often a no. There almost always is a no. But the no always is in the, is in the service of a yes. Jesus says, you're going to have to let go of this stuff. That's a no. It's going to be hard. Yeah, you've got to let go of this stuff that's in the way of you and God, that's stopping you from really being a, a, a disciple of Jesus, a disciple of close with God. You're going to have to say no to that. But there's a yes, a bigger yes, but come follow me. Come be with me. And actually, in coming and being with me, you're going to find you find great, greater treasure, more treasure than you could ever think of, tre- heavenly treasure, eternal treasure that will last well beyond this life. This is the promise, is that the yes is bigger than the no, as, as Jesus invites this man to follow him, to come be a disciple, to come be a learner, to walk with him. Jesus invites him. And then we hear in the story this man, this young man, like lots of us, became sad because he was very rich. He became sad. He had a lot. He had a lot. And, and he liked having that a lot, maybe like you and I. I mean, it's nice to have a lot, right? And this call, this question from Jesus, would you let go of everything? Would you really surrender everything, the things that most you hold on to, your security, your status, your privilege, your money? Would you surrender everything to me and come follow me? He was sad. I like that Luke doesn't tell us. Matthew and Mark actually tell us that he went away sad. Here, just Luke tells us he was sad. Almost leaves us hanging. Kind of like the, the older brother in, in the story of the prodigal son, right? Jesus goes out to him, and we're not sure what decision he makes in the end. We're not really sure what happens. We know he's sad. We can hope. Maybe something did change his mind in the midst of his sadness. You know what it might have been? If I'm a guessing man, I would guess what Jesus' first question to him. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Do you hear it? Jesus is pointing to the one thing this guy needs, the thing he needs more than anything. He doesn't get yet how good God is. If he knew how good God was, it would be an easy decision. He might be a little sad letting go, but it wouldn't be hard because he just got invited to have treasure in heaven and more than that, to follow Jesus, to know the God of the universe who's come to walk with him, to be united with him, to walk in fellowship and union and purpose and joy and fulfillment and transformation and forever. If he knew how good God was, it wouldn't be a hard decision anymore. Or at least the decision would be able to, he could make the right decision. No one is good but God alone. You don't get how good God is yet. How do we think about that? This guy is thinking, this is going to cost a lot. This is going to cost a lot. I'm going to weigh this. It's costing a lot. But if we know how good God is, the scales tip. In, in Acts chapter 2, Acts is kind of, you know, it's, this Luke's, it's Luke's sequel to the, to the gospel of Luke. Acts chapter 2, we see Peter preaching his first sermon. And just after the Holy Spirit's given at Pentecost. And at this first sermon, there's a little summary of how we know 
about how good God is. In the Bible, we can figure out how good God is in lots of ways. In our own experience, we've experienced God's goodness. I, I'm sure of it. We see it in the experience of others around us. In stories, we hear of God's goodness. We read it in the Bible of God's goodness in many ways. But the most clear and obvious and, and lifted up place in the Bible of how we know God's goodness is Jesus. Jesus shows us how good God is. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the one who God has said, this is what I'm like. We sang in the first song. This is who I'm like. You want to know what I'm like? Look at Jesus, the Word made flesh. How good is God? What has Jesus done? And who is he? And Acts chapter 2, 22-24 says this. Jesus of Nazareth, skip the middle. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. How good is God? No one is good but God alone. How good is God? Let's look at Jesus. This Jesus who lived this life of kingdom, the kingdom of God, preaching the kingdom of God in word and deed. This is what God's kingdom is like when he goes and heals people and casts out demons. When he goes to the oppressed, the outsider, both rich and poor, and says, I'm calling you back in, Zacchaeus. I'm calling you back in, Levi. I'm calling you back in, lepers. I'm calling you back in, uh, widows, son, dead son, widows, all that together. I'm calling you back in. <laughs> this is what Jesus did in his life. But then not just his life, right? Then he died for us. He died on a cross. We sing about it, but do we know God's goodness in Jesus? He died, took our place, in our place and on our behalf, took our death for us. This is how good God is, that the God of the universe would look at you in the eye and say, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to carry you to you and your burden to the cross. You're mine. I love you. I choose you. And not only that, but then raised from the dead because death couldn't hold the author of life. Death couldn't hold the author of life, and so God burst out, burst through death for us. This is how good God is. And now Jesus stands at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us as we trust him in faith. We're united with him. We share in the life of God and the mystery of God, whatever that means, forever as his children and family members. This is how good God is. We see and know in Jesus. This is the God who invites us to come follow him in Jesus. And so the question for us is, do we believe God is that good? Do we believe he's good enough to let go of everything, to surrender everything, to let go of whatever it is Jesus is calling us to? He doesn't call everyone in the Bible to, to, to sell other things and give to the poor, but he does call everyone to surrender everything. And each of us get to answer that question. And to be honest, it's a really scary, intimidating question in some ways. I'm, I don't have this question answered. I, I mean, yes, I've surrendered to Jesus, and, and I, I, I have surrendered all, and I'm on the journey of surrendering all, and I want to surrender all, and I'm praying, Lord, help me surrender all. I'm on the journey with you, and we're on this journey together as a community. Would we be people who surrendered everything to Jesus, surrendered our social status? Jesus, it's worth it for me to follow you, even if it costs me in my friends, with my friends. Surrender my success in different ways, even if it costs me. Surrender my, my career, my money aspirations, and how I could do a career that takes me somewhere that makes lots more money, but Jesus calls me somewhere else. Will I surrender those things 
Will we surrender those things? Will we surrender our, our, our privilege and power and use our, uh, whatever that is for you in your life to fight for justice in the world and for righteousness and to fight against injustices, whether it's race and racism or slavery or poverty? Would we use our wealth and our privilege for those ways as we surrender to Jesus? Would we surrender it because we believe and know God is so good? And the ways we, if we, if we don't know he's quite good enough yet, maybe your prayer today is say, God, show me how good you are. Banjo, come on up. Show me how good you are. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, as we, we enter into obedience, as we surrender everything to Jesus, he calls it the freeing, I'm going to read this right here, the freeing activity of obedience. The freeing activity of obedience. God in his goodness is inviting us to come follow him, to let everything down, let everything go in our freeing activity of obedience. As we do, we'll find freedom in life way more than we could have if we held on tight like that sad ruler. Let's sing together.